Welcome to Useful Outsiders, a monthly podcast series brought to you by the Council for International Development. Kia ora koutou. This month, ahead of the Climate Conference COP27 in Egypt, we're delighted to bring you a timely discussion with Brianna Fruin, a climate advocate from Samoa. Brianna took to the stage at the opening ceremony of the World Leaders Summit at COP26 in Glasgow last year, sounding the warrior call of Pacific youth, declaring, we are not drowning, we are fighting. At 11 years old, Brianna became a founding member of the Samoan chapter of the climate advocacy group 350.org. Since then, she's emerged as a powerful advocate for climate justice, bringing young Pacific voices to the forefront of global climate conversations. Vaitofinga Fui Maono from the Tulai Pacifica Youth Leadership Programme in Auckland is speaking with Brianna Fruin. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So, kia ora, Brianna. Um, it's nice to, nice to meet you, um, finally. Um, I want to start off with a bit of, a, bit of an icebreaker, if okay. you don't mind. Let's, um, so, um, let's think about our past. Um, who in our past that's passed on, uh, would you like to have one night um, for dinner with? Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, I can give an example. Yeah. For me, um, I want to meet um, Queen Salote. Because... <laughs> um, I'm Samoan, but I like to see what the Tongan monarchy was like um, in Queen Salot these days, especially, um, you know, with Queen Elizabeth, her passing. I want to kind of compare and contrast what happens, um, like what the roles are of the Tongan monarchy and all that. Um, so um, do you have any, um, anyone you'd like to have a dinner with um, in the past, from your past? Yeah, you know, if I could have a dinner with someone from my past, I might actually say either like Tupua Tamasese yeah. or, you know, it's sad that we don't know the names, but any of the women of the Mao. Yeah. Like, what was it actually like being an activist in their time and w- like why we don't know their names? Like, I know mm. Namula Lawaki, I know Tupua Tamasese's name, but yeah. who were who our women that yeah. started our movement for independence? So I'd love to have dinner with one of them. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you started with like, the activism kind of side of Samoa. Um, with the Mao, we don't know much about the women of our Mao. But um, I think these days, because I think you're like one of the growing leaders at Samaitai Samoa, um, who's inspired a lot of our youth um, in our communities in New Zealand, um, overseas. Um, so what kind of passions or what kind of drives um, made you start um, in your space of climate activism? Mm. Really interested to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... I don't really like, I never really grew up thinking that I was an activist or wanting to be an activist. I think it's a really funny word because in like the Pakeo Palangi like world in sense of activism, it's they're doing something by choice. Like it, you're choosing to change politics, you're choosing to change society because you, you want to. But for climate activism in the Pacific, like we do it because we need to. It's not so much of a choice as our fight for survival. And so when I heard about climate change, I just knew that I wanted to work towards combating it because for me, it's like the way that I lived out my like tautua, like my service to Samoa. Mm. Um, But I don't know. How do you feel about activism? Like when you hear that word, like, do you feel like you're an activist, like a social, like political activist? Yeah. I'm kind of riding the same train as you, if I'm being honest, because if I give an example, like I run a program called Tulai. We have a few... Um, Tuvaluans, mm-hmm. um, and they've been very active in the climate space because, of course, the sea level rise, um, and they've basically, I don't want to say forced, mm-hmm. but they've 
they've been put into a situation where they have to fight for their country and have to fight for the rights um, for climate rights mm. and all that and so I'm you know being I'm not I don't really see myself as an activist I guess just maybe an advocate for change um, just supporting every co-papa um, that's out there to help our people I guess yeah, yeah. Um, and you've been one of those one of the people leading um, I would say for our youth uh, so thank you for all that you do um, can we talk about COP26 um, you um, did a, a very empowering speech um, that was everywhere on social media um, how did it feel being in that kind of space um, for those world leaders and all that yeah. um, big political spaces especially with the UN and like the the size of it it's um it's very daunting like i i don't think um it's one of those like it's, it's definitely not like a safe space for a lot of activists and a lot of like people of color even like civil society because it's so like high level um like political and so um i got introduced to like this term like is a is a space mana enhancing yeah. like if you leave do you feel good about it or like do you still have your mana intact like i feel like those big political arenas is not mana enhancing spaces yeah. for a lot of us and so um i was really lucky to be able to go to cop 26 and deliver the speech with already experience of going to cops yeah. so at the first cop i actually went to i was 12 years old it was um cop 10 it was it was before all the cops were climate change cops so i actually went to the biodiversity cop yeah. so back then they used to like break up the cops like some would be like conservation some would be climate change but now we've like acknowledged that everything yeah. falls on the climate change um and so I went into that COP already experiencing what that space is like. Um, so um, you being Samoan, um, of course, and being in COP26, um, how has being a Tamaitai Samoa, um, I guess, driven you personally to your co-papa or in your life, really? Man, um, being, you know when they say, what's the, like, Gen Z term? Um, like... It's your whole personality. You know when someone yeah. has something about them and they're like, you're, you're a um, singer and that's your whole personality. Yeah. For yeah. me, it's like, I'm Samoan and that's my whole yeah. personality. Yeah. Like, I've based my whole life around just yeah. being Samoan. It's like, I feel like the most prominent, like, part of the, what made me me. Yeah. And so, being Samoan is why I do climate work. Yeah. Being, like, just an islander, I think, as well. Like, being from a vulnerable community to climate impact is why I do climate work but it's also like really informed me in how different I am from other climate like yeah. activists yeah. especially young ones like um there's like this thing that young climate activists say from the global north that their elders have failed them um and it's something that I've never said because my elders haven't failed me like yeah. our elders they haven't yeah. failed us like the pacific especially our islands account for so little of global emissions and we've always treated the planet with with care in fact we've like been the the voyagers who went to different places and left it untouched yeah. so being someone has also like impacted the way i i see narrative so when a lot of like the global north will will go on a tangent about 
out as failing them. Like, um, there's no space in this movement for old people. Like, I really push back on that. Yeah. In fact, like, I feel like intergenerational change is pivotal in yeah. in this climate movement. I'm like big on being led by my elders. Like, I think that's why I'm here. And I, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same, but like, yeah. I don't, I couldn't go anywhere without the wisdom of my elders. So I think that that's really important to me. Yeah. Because I think Pacific people, Pacific youth, carry so much history on their backs. Mm -hmm. They carry the teachings of their elders, uh, those that have passed before them, um, with them. So it kind of sounds, what you were just saying, it kind of sounds, I think to me, a bit insulting in some in some aspects. Um, because, again, we love our we love our grandparents. We love all the elders that have come before us. Um, I do think there's a, a slight shift, though, with our youth and how they view, like, how our elders... Um, what, was, what did you say before? How our elders... Are, are kind of... We, like, haven't failed us. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of seen that with our Pacific youth as well. I was like, no, don't don't <laughs> yeah, say that yeah, because, yeah. you know, they're the backbone of, um, of our people, you know, through migration um, and all that. Um... Well, yeah, thank you for um, telling us about being Samoan, because being Samoan is, has its ups and downs now. <laughs> awesome. So um, here's another question. Um, a lot of our youth who get into, say, leading spaces, like when they get, sometimes when they get into a prefect, or um, they get good marks, they get high awards, um, there's this thing called imposter syndrome. Um, and I think because Pacific people were you know, kind of taught the value of humility and to, and with that we kind of downplay a lot of our achievements and all that. Um, with you being in such um, big spaces like COP26, Pacific Climate Warriors, um, I heard you're going um, away tonight to New York. New York. Um, yeah. uh, what advice do you have to our Pacific youth who do feel that they have some sort of imposter syndrome or feel like they're not worthy enough to be in big spaces or rewarding spaces? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I read a book recently that said that um, imposter syndrome, if we flip it, can actually be a really valuable tool for us um, because it always makes us like reevaluate our abilities, which is good to an extent. I think like it's good to hold ourselves ac accountable and be like, can we do this? Yeah. And then I think we just need to push ourselves like that extra mile and be like, yes, we can. But what happens when we have imposter syndrome and we think and we question ourselves, can we do this? We actually put into action our abilities like yeah. we put into question, but then into action our abilities. Whereas people who don't have imposter syndrome and are like on the other side of like narcissism that think they can do everything. A lot of the times when those type of people do these roles, they're not doing it correctly. Yeah. And so I would say use your imposter syndrome to evaluate your ability, but also remember that you have an ability, yeah. that that you are able to do things if you can evaluate yourself first, if it's possible for you. And a lot of the times it is possible. And also I would say, ask people around you, because in times where you doubt yourself, you'll be able to tell a friend and they'll be like, no, you can absolutely do that job. Or yes, you can absolutely give that speech. You can absolutely ace that um, that work mission. And so I would say um, don't see imposter syndrome as like, oh, it's like this burden that I have. You can, It could actually be a good thing for you if you use it correctly. Yeah. Um, and then also 
something that I use with my imposter syndrome is a quote that someone told me. It's actually like an elder in the climate space um, said that no one can tell your story better than you. So you can write a speech about yourself and like your story and you can give it to like the best speech giver in the world. You can give it to like Obama, who's like one of my favorite um, speech givers. He won't be able to give your speech the way that you gave your speech because he isn't you. And so that's what I always try and remember. And what I would tell people who are going through imposter syndrome is um, evaluate, use that time to to um, like take a wide look at what you're about to do. So you could actually see like, is this something I want to do? Is this something I can and have the capacity to do? Ask your friends for their opinions because they will most likely tell you, yes, you can do that and then do it. Nice. Yeah. So it's good to have like a big support system Mm -hmm. with you. Um, I guess getting out of your... Your mindset will yeah. also be, yeah. Um, you know, be worthy. Um, speaking of like the leadership that you do, um, has there what kind of barriers has hindered you from, you know, being in the climate space or being a leader in the climate space? Has there been any hinders or barriers that you've had to overcome, and how did you overcome those? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's been so many barriers. And I've been in the climate space for so long, so I think yeah. that's why as well. I think, um, like, ge- gender has been a barrier yeah. from, like, just entering spaces that are very patriarchal, especially being not just a woman but a young woman. Um, I've been, like, looked down on a, a lot of the times. Um, and being, like, brown has also been a, a, a barrier. Like, not a, not a barrier of, of, like, something that I've created for myself, but that has been created for me in other spaces. Um, and then, like, there's also just so much financial barriers for young people wanting to do this work because you have to, like, have a job and do this work and then also have to pay for this work. And I know, I feel like a lot of people who do social and environmental advocacy would also feel the same about that. Um, So there's heaps of barriers for young people to be doing this work and also just, like, societal barriers. I remember, like, one of my first... um, like big awards that I I won. So I was going into like the green room for um, winning a Commonwealth award. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got moved because someone thought I was a dance, like I came to dance, like someone thought I was a dancer. Um, And that's just because there's a misconception like Polynesians are like football players and dancers in like the world. Yeah, yeah. And so even just that, like I think like, I was 16 when that happened and like that made me like really sad like I felt like really like defeated that I got there and then like people didn't even see me as like a winner or someone who was there for a reason like they thought that I was just the entertainment so yeah even just like those little societal barriers of like mindsets can really mess with you Um, but I think we just have to like keep persisting like and not feel like it's the end and just if we can somehow find a way to push through those barriers. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Cause that, those kinds of, those stereotypes, the, I would say discrimination mm. as well. It happens in so many spaces, um, especially for young Maori and Pacific youth, um, in Aotearoa. Um, so, and you mentioned that we need to kind of change, uh, make a change. Oh, you need to persist, sorry. Mm. Um, into those spaces. So what, advice do you have um, specifically um, when you said that? Hmm. My advice for anyone really 
to persist, like not just young people, older people too, mm. that may be wanting to do this work, mm. is um, like not losing track of why you're doing it. Yeah. I think it's really important. I think like sometimes when we're like faced with a wall, we forget what's on the other side. Like yeah. what are we trying to get to? And that's what's really kept me like going is like, what am I trying to get to? I'm trying to get to a world where climate justice exists. And so I just like keep in my mind like climate justice for Samoa, climate justice for the islands. That's what's on the other side. Like, so let me just push through this barrier. Let me step over it, find a way around it so that I can get to the other side. I think, yeah, it's really easy to lose track of why um, when you're faced with so many things that are trying to get you to turn away. Awesome. So leading into that, do you think our youth are actively creating change? It's, mm. I know it's, it's an obvious answer. But I like, really yeah. like to know your views. Uh, if, from I, there. if I said no, yeah. <laughs> no, yes, I absolutely yeah. believe our youth are creating change. Yeah. I think in ways that we see and ways that we don't. Yeah. Going back to um, COP26 or any like, I guess, higher space that you've um, been involved with. Um, how are, do you think, do they connect with, like, our local communities or local levels of informing people? Um, do they connect well with our communities um, at all? Or do you mm. think they need to improve on that? Yeah. yeah. I definitely think that there's a lot of improvements to be made with how, like, high policy can match local realities. Mm-hmm. Um, And just because a lot of the times like that, like very technical language um, doesn't always like translate to what's actually happening on the ground and grassroots work happening on the ground. Um, And I think that's why we need more like civil society. We need more like people who are actually doing the work in these spaces because they'll be able to translate what the policy needs to look Mm -hmm. like. Um, And a lot of the times like a big barrier for like in my experience for civil society in Samoa is like all the red tape around this policy so like they make a policy to they need to start um, doing these types of adaptation projects in Samoa and then like when you actually go and do the adaptation project like there's like so much paperwork to even get the funding um and then within the funding you need to like have all these consultants that end up like sucking up all the money that is in the project and then you end up with like such a small project because of like all this like admin that had to go into the red tape and so i think there's a lot of improvement to also be done with like how we finance civil society and finance grassroots work because it's all like well and good to like make high level decisions about like oh we're gonna give this community like millions of dollars and then it gets to the community but it ends up going to like like international governments organizations it ends up going through a middleman that goes to private business owners then by the time it hits the farmers like the farmers get like eight thousand tala which is nothing to try and adapt their farm to climate change so there's definitely like a big part of it not translating to um, local communities, especially financially, that I feel like needs to be revisited um, and a lot of improvements to be made. Yeah, because what you've just said was kind of, yeah, it sounds like mm-hmm. such a hassle to get mm-hmm. through, to get our, to get our voice heard, I guess, um, especially for, um, like what you said, our grassroots peoples, you know, it's our farmers, um, it's even things like our youth groups, our youth hui's, our youth spaces. Um, do you have um, 
Well, how would you encourage um, those people, you know, our grassroots peoples, our local communities and all that, to make their voice heard, mm-hmm. um, to inform our high-level high level people? Yeah. yeah. I would say, like, speak your grievances. Yeah. I think it's, it's really hard for, um, like, grassroots uh, organisers and community people to, like, complain because they yeah. feel like, oh, well, then we're being ungrateful for this aid like yeah. just this generosity like and mm-hmm. i always remind our people like climate aid is not aid yeah. climate aid is debt we are owed this money because we are like being faced with a problem that we didn't create so when we get like th- these like big chunks of money to adapt our seawalls to redirect our rivers like we don't want to be doing that and yeah. we shouldn't be doing that because yeah. it's a part of a crisis we didn't create yeah. so if you're not getting the money you deserve, if you're not getting it in the way that works for you and your village, you and your community, complain, like voice yeah. your grievances, tell the people who've like um, facilitated this funding that it's not working, tell the UN it's not working, tell the government it's not working, because we need it to be able to match your reality because your grassroots work is what's going to save us. Yeah. And so if any advice I could give is like, you have so much say in this work and you have so much say in this movement like don't be like afraid to say that it needs to be better because i think sometimes we feel like we just have to like be humble and stay grateful Mm -hmm. and we can be humble and stay grateful that can be true or at the same time like demanding better because we deserve better yeah that's yeah that's awesome to hear because um, i'm not too inversed in the climate space but Mm -hmm. i am in the youth space Mm -hmm. um and we are trying to fight for our voice, fight for his funding yeah. as well. Um, for my age or our age, because yeah, we're, yeah. we're young in the twi- in in early twenties. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess. Well, I was taught to be grateful for everything that we've been given. Um, you know, don't talk back, mm-hmm. um, even though it may be impacting us negatively. Mm-hmm. Like, no, stay humble. You know, keep those values of humility and just be grateful for what you're given mm. but what I've noticed is that with the youth I've worked with in Tulai, um, they're not afraid to speak out mm. um, they'll address grievances where they um, what they feel mm. um, I did a lesson on teaching about like colonization and migration and I've never heard um, our youth be so passionate about it um, saying that yes we need to to decolonize we need to be in every kind of space that um, as possible things like our youth programs, that's a form of decolonization mm. as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to take that advice. I'm going to add yeah. it to my kitty and go to Tulei and just say, you know, keep yeah. keep up the, the mahi that you're already doing and just push forward and to keep pushing. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think it's important for our young people to value themselves as well. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the same thing with, like, our grassroots organizers and society. Like, to value your work and that it's important, but then also for, like, our young people to value yourselves I think especially in New Zealand like in in the migration experience of like be grateful that you're here but New Zealand should also be grateful that you're here because you're also a part of the fabric that made this place so yes we can be grateful to the land we're on and being able to be here but the people who brought us here should also be grateful that we stayed yeah exactly because you know children of migrants um, you know our parents were the backbone Mm -hmm. I'm going to say the backbone of our economy you know, they started off as factory workers yeah. and now us as children of migrants, you know, we're kind of continuing that work, um, continuing that 
the, the activism, but like our voice. Yeah. Um, and we're growing into those high levels, which it's so I'm so happy to see. So I'll encourage, we'll keep encouraging our youth mm -hmm. to keep pushing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Alright, so we've been talking about, um, you know, our youth pushing boundaries, I guess, or speaking out. Um, you know, you've mentioned, oh, not you've mentioned, but you're involved in a lot of our um, climate spaces. And to all our rangatahi that are wanting to get into that space, are wanting to fight for change, um, what, how do you think they should enter that space? Or what advice do you have for them to enter that space? Because it could be as simple as reposting something on Instagram or anything else that you think um, how you should get into that space. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would say like enter the space like how like in whatever way you want to. Mm. I don't think you should like try to be someone else or model someone else's way of moving in the space. Mm. I think you just be like authentic to who you are and find a new space for you. Yeah. So like I have a friend like most of my friends that do climate work, like one of them got in it through music. So she's a singer and she started writing music about um, climate change and um, like indigenous stories and land sovereignty. And that's how she got into climate work. Like she didn't try and become like this activist she saw on TV. Yeah. She just used her music to enter the space. Um, I have another friend who's like very hardy feminist and she's very like passionate about women's rights. And she got in the space through advocating for girls and women who've been impacted by climate change. So she used like what who she already was to come into climate work. Um, and then I also like have a friend who um, like started a podcast and ha and like started learning about climate change because she wanted to like, speak about it on her podcast. And so I think if I could give advice to people who want to do this work, is like. Find out what your niche is, what you want to do, and just do that with a climate change lens. Mm. Yeah. And do you think that there is much opportunities for our youth to do that? Like, do you think mm. there's spaces available? Um, do you think that there's that high level, I guess, like governments or businesses are actively creating these spaces for our young people to speak out mm. um, on any, any issue that matters? Like, yeah. I think especially now there's more like seats being pulled up to the table yeah. um especially compared to like 10 years ago but i think we also need to look out for when it's tokenistic like yeah. when do they just want us to come so that they can see us and have like a nice diverse photo for a news article yeah. and when do they want us to show up because they actually want to hear from us mm. and so i think it's also important for young people to try and like determine what's what like yeah. do you think they actually value you and want you to be in their space um for good or do they just want you to be there to use what you look like and, and yeah. what you bring so um there are more spaces i don't know if they're all like good spaces yeah. which is important to acknowledge but if there's also like another piece of advice that i could give to young people and actually just people in general entering like civil society spaces, climate spaces, or just like sustainable development spaces, is don't only look for a seat for you, but look for a seat for someone else. I think it's important that like we don't model 
the the type of attitude that we're trying to change. So we want yeah. people to involve us. So we should also involve other people and like change that mindset. And for Pacifica youth in in particular, I would say to look out for Melanesian and Micronesian voices yeah. because. Like in Pacifica spaces, we're so polycentric mm. and like a step further, Samoan centric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would like advise all the Samoans. Like, I know there's a lot of us here in New yeah, Zealand, yeah, yeah. but you know, if you can look for like another, like a cookie friend, uh, yeah. like Tongan friend, like um, Fijian friend, Vanuatu friend, like bring them into the space as well. Like, um, you know, sometimes we can be like so headstrong and focused on. Um, trying to create space for ourselves yeah. that we forget to like step back and also be like oh and here's a space for you sis here's a space for you bro like come to the table as well yeah it's awesome how you brought up brought up the Melanesian Micronesian argument yeah. because that's very Pacific studies yeah. as well um, yeah the Polynesian centric kind of voice it does need to change and I think I would argue um, Titiritis as well yeah um, being people being guests of the yeah. land um we need to be actively encouraging our Māori, our Māori communities as well, involving them mm-hmm. in every space because they have so much value, um, they have so much respect for us. We should just we should give it back yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, that's actually like a really important. I'm so glad you brought it up. It's yeah. a really important point. It's like I think anywhere we go and wherever we end up, like we must honour the traditional custodians of whatever land we're on. Um, and I think that like even like big international spaces could like do lots of yeah. more improvement on involving indigenous people as well yeah. it's funny just on that topic it's funny how it's always the local communities that's acknowledging you know the people of the land you know land that we're on I mean big corporations or big assemblies or big mm. yeah they've never done that before so I think indigenous voice is such a huge thing for us mm. eh? yeah. well, thank you for that award-winning um, Brianna um, <laughs> um, you've done so much um, for our people I would say um, for our youth you're such a big inspiration for us um, and thank you so much for um, all that you do um, but what's what's possibly next for you like what's what's in the plans for not only yourself but uh, for Pacific Climate Warriors or any other um, any other space that you're involved with you know what's the future looking like for you yeah um, there's a couple of things that I'm focusing with my climate work. I think one is like solutions and resilience work. Um, so I'm really like interested in wanting to put more energy into like grassroots solutions, um, like highlighting the resilience of our people who are having to adapt to, to climate change. Um, and then like the second part of my focus, which connects to the resilience work, is financing. So I think a lot of the times when we like talk about um, climate financing the Pacific can some Pacific grassroots and like small organizations are left out of that conversation and so because I have the privilege of like being on like the in these global arenas um, meeting people who have the power to like finance a lot of our solutions work um, I, I'm definitely not forgetting home like when I go yeah. like and meet these people like I, I have a mission to like finance our resilience work in the islands um, and so I just really hope to like be in a position where I can um, like funnel and make sure that resources are getting back home to our islands so that they have everything they need so we can stay resilient in this climate crisis. So that's that's what's next for me is like getting our people our bag yeah. and hopefully doing it in a way that like is fast enough for our people to be able to sustain the work that they're already doing. 
Thank you so much. Steve, always advocating for the homeland and us being, you know, the greatest, greatest country, Samoan. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I see that passion you have for um, always giving back to our homeland. So uh, thank you so much um, again. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank Thank you for listening to Useful Outsiders. Please subscribe, share, rate and review and help us to spread the word. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch. You can find our email in the episode notes. We hope you'll join us for the next episode.